You're listening to a Wheels on the Ground production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on a brand new episode of Disability After Dark. I cannot believe we are listening to episode 269. Wow, that is amazing. Plus all the bonus episodes we have, we're up to like 360-something episodes with all the bonus stuff we've included here. Thank you so much for listening. I am your delectably disabled daddy, Andrew Gerza, and I am here in my power wheelchair, Playing with my joystick. Yeah, I said it. I'm playing with my joystick. So let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and shine a light on disability story today, shall we? First things first today, I want to invite you on this wonderful program, this award-winning podcast that I make from my bedroom here in Toronto, Canada. I want to shine a bright light on your disability story. So I would encourage you to please go in the show notes today and click on the sign up link to sign up and be a a guest and if there are some of you out there right now who are like Andrew I signed up and then you rescheduled 8,000 times I know it's because I have chronic illnesses and disability but that doesn't mean I won't get to you and that doesn't mean you won't be a part of the show it just means I may have to reschedule a bunch of times 
I would love for you to tell your disability story on the show. So please consider shining a shining a bright light on your story so we can continue this awesome show. Also, if you're listening and you are a non-disabled person and you maybe had questions about disability that you wanted answered or you maybe had some things you were unsure of, I want to invite you on this show too. This show is for you to learn and to be an educational piece for you. So if you, and if you are a sex worker, a porn star, an escort, somebody who wants to learn how to work with disabled bodies in their line of work, whether that be sex work or anywhere else, I want to invite you on the show to ask me those questions because I think that kind of conversation is how we're going to combat ableism. So I would totally recommend that if you want to come on and ask all the questions around disability, please, please sign up to be on my show. You can go in the show notes here or go to andrewgerza.com and there's a link on my website right at the front where you can sign up. So please consider signing up. This show is shining a bright light on disability stories for everyone and I want you to be included. Just another little shameless plug here. You know, as you've listened to the the shows on this podcast feed, you know that I run a sex toy company called Bumpin with my sister Heather. And you know, you've, you've heard us talk a little bit about how that's going and how all the things are shaving up and what's all happening there. And I am so excited right now to let you know that on December 3rd, pre-sales for our very first disability-driven sex toy, the Bumpin' Joystick, will be out. On December 3rd, we are going to finally have pre-sales open for the world's first disability-driven sex toy. And I, it is first come, first serve, so I want you to be the first to, to hear about it so you don't miss out. So please go to our website at getbumpin.com and register your interest today so that that can be so that you can be one of the first to hear about pre-sales because I am so excited about this product. I'm so excited about finally putting accessible sex tech for disabled bodies on the market and the bump and joystick is the first of its kind and we are so so excited and we're so we're so excited to do it on International Day of Persons with Disabilities, too, December 3rd. So please go to our website at getbumpin.com and register today so you don't miss out. But now, let's get on to our interview today. On the episode today, I sit down with one of my favorite guests of all time. I just, I really enjoyed sitting down with her. And first of all, she was so patient. She to talk about to talk about how it takes me forever to book an interview she signed up to book to talk to me back in February 2021 and we finally recorded this interview in i think the beginning of October of 2021 so not very long ago we recorded it just at the beginning of last month and she was so kind and so patient and waited for all of my disability stuff and i rearranged on her a whole bunch but she was so just when I finally sat down with her, she was amazing. My guest today is Jessica Johnson, who is working through her clinical residency to be a 
counselor in the state of Virginia. She is a person with cerebral palsy who uses a wheelchair. She's also a black woman with CP. We talk about so many things. We talk about the intersection of her work as a counselor and how people don't treat her the same. And people think that she is there for counseling, but they don't see her as a counselor. We talk about independence. We talk about her, you know, having to need care while at work. We talk about so many different things here, but I just fell in love with her during this interview. I I had so much fun chatting with her that I immediately was like, can we find a way to get her back on the show? I just loved talking to her, and I will make sure that all of her stuff is in our show notes for today. She's an amazing, amazing friend and person. One of the things that she said in the interview that I just can't stop thinking about since she said it was she said we're only allowed to talk about disability if we talk about disability amongst ourselves and that kind of I've been I've been thinking about that ever since she said it and I can't stop thinking about how real it is and the interview is full of amazing gems like that and I just cannot wait for you to hear what she says again we talk about about needing care in the workplace, independence, being a black disabled woman. So many things are chatted about here, and it was a fantastic interview. So, enough of my rambling, and I certainly hope you enjoy my interview with Jessica Johnson, right now on Disability After Dark. Jessica Johnson, hello. Hey, how are you? Good. I'm so happy to finally have you on the show. You are one of the most patient potential guests that there has ever been because we're recording this in September and you have been asking me to be on the show since February 1st. I know because I looked at the date of when you first applied and I have had so much disability still going on and so many different access things happening over the past few months that we keep, we have rescheduled so many times. And I just appreciate that you've been so patient. I'm so happy to have you here. Oh, no worries. I've been dealing with the same thing. So I'm glad to finally be here and talk to you. I'm really excited. Uh, uh, and just so just for anybody who who wants to get to know more about you, can you introduce yourself to the Disability After Dark audience? Tell sure. us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Hey, everybody. Um. Jessica Johnson, a native of Richmond, Virginia, 31 years old, um, living with spastic cerebral palsy. Um, I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at 18 months. Um, And the way my journey has been with cerebral palsy, there's been been a lot of surgeries. There's also been complications dealing with asthma growing up as a child um, and now um, journeying through traditional school college and graduate school I'm now currently in my clinical residency or a clinical internship to become a licensed professional counselor for the state of Virginia. That's amazing. And that's one of the reasons why I was so excited about your forum, because one of my best friends, uh, she's been on the guest on the show, one of my best friends, Kristen, in Canada, also is working to be a counselor for specifically for people with disabilities to like talk about to provide counseling for that population. So I think it's really cool 
that you want to want to do counseling. And I definitely want to get into that more with you today because it's important that we have counselors who have different backgrounds and who live, especially counselors with disabilities, to help disabled people navigate the world. Is that, is that a is that a population that you want to work with? Absolutely, definitely. Um, it's always been an interest um, growing up because the there's a lot of stigma associated with disability as as you're aware of and one of the biggest things is that um we're not allowed to talk about our disability or it seems like we're not allowed to talk about our disability unless we're talking amongst ourselves and then it's also stigma within the disability community too based on ability so if you don't have the ability to speak or the ability to write then you're kind of looked at as somebody that doesn't have doesn't have the uh you're assumed not to be smart yeah like not to be smart and not to be basically looked at as nothing which kind of which kind of sucks And everybody needs that space to talk to somebody and just have that connection with other people. Yeah. And I think the value of having, I mean, I've gone to counselors throughout my life and I've had counseling and I probably will go back to counseling because we all need some, but I find that so much of my counseling experiences as a disabled person and going to counselors as like a client is me constantly being like, here's how disability is, here's how, here's how the world treats us. And the counselor going, oh, cool, I'm able-bodied. I'd never considered that before. I don't know how to navigate any of that. So, right. but, and I also agree with the other thing you said about how there's so much um, tension within the disability community around who's allowed to be disabled, who's allowed to talk about this stuff, who has the privilege to like, do all that and I, so I totally agree that I think you being a, a woman of color with a disability in that field would be is well it is groundbreaking because I haven't seen it before so I'm sure that you know having you there would change the game I would hope yeah because even in even in my experience just from being an intern in um, undergrad and in graduate school the challenge that I had to deal with is basically telling people uh, just because I'm sitting in my chair doesn't mean that I'm here for services. I'm actually here to help you with what you what you need. And then having to explain, as I've had to do my entire life, basically explain that cerebral palsy is not something that you can catch like you catch a common cold. It's not even a genetic thing. And I feel like that's another thing that people, disabled people and non-disabled people don't take the time to really understand the science and the development behind disabilities themselves. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's so much to unpack there. There's like, first of all, you rolling into a counseling center, you know, there to do your job as a 
as a counselor and having people automatically assume that because you're a wheelchair user, you must be there to access the services, yeah. not provide them is a huge problem. Um, and I, I think it's really, it's, I think it's badass that you would like roll in your, in, with in your wheelchair, be like, no, I'm your counselor today. Deal with that. Like part of me sees so much kind of fun in you rolling up to say a non-disabled client and then being like, uh, like just watching them, watching them in their own brain, figure out how to see you as a, the professional you are is kind of fun. Um, and also just like the, it pisses me off that you, that people would automatically assume you couldn't be the professional that you are. Right. And it's not, and it's not just the clients. It's even the, the people that work there too. Like I've had to have several conversations with um, my supervisors and even my own case managers that help me, you know, get the services that I have for personal care and other yeah. things in order to work. I'm having to say, like, I can do this job. I went to school for this. I studied it. I was even studying it before I went to school because my friends were the ones that I was giving advice to or supporting when they were going through these things. So why can't you just give me a computer, you know, give me a wireless <laughs> mouse, give me an office space where I can move around and let me do my job. But now, um, since I've been doing my residency, a lot of my stuff has been virtual. So it has its benefits and it has its difficulties as well, but I'm enjoying it. That's that's so great. And I wanna I wanna get into more of the counseling stuff more because there's a lot I have a lot of feelings about some of this what you just said. Like I and I agree with you. It's it's I love what you're trying to do and I hate that the system is like brushing up against you with their ableism it's kind of gross but before we get before i go back into there let's let's kind of back up a little bit and go into like so jessica tell me tell me how cp plays a role in your life oh cp is an everyday thing in my life um the biggest part is now that i'm in my 30s i'm just turned 31 in july uh, congratulations. Um, Happy belated birthday. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, so compared to when I was compared to when I was younger, um, it was easier to, you know, move around. Um, I had a I had a walker, I was wearing, you know, braces, leg braces. Um also going to yeah, AFOs and going to physical therapy pretty often. Um, and just doing things that normal children would do yeah. when, when I could, because it was also isolating. It's also been isolating too, um, being that I'm an only child. And so I didn't really have anyone in my peer group to interact with unless I was at school yeah so then uh after elementary school things started things started changing I was dealing with um the progression of a hip 
dislocation and isn't isn't that the most fun i've had that i know what that's like it's the most fun isn't it oh my gosh it is the absolute craziest feeling ever yeah it's really it's a real trip and it's nothing that i would wish on anyone (laughs) exactly and then on top of that like at 12 dealing with dealing with scoliosis that was the worst pain i have ever been through yeah. In my life. Did you have the spinal surgery? Yeah, I had the um spinal fusion on my lower lower back because the spine had, the curve was so deep. Wow, I had it all the way from my shoulder blades to my bum. The wow. I had like the big one where they put in the thing in your hip. Yeah, yeah, and I had it like 20 years ago. So I'm almost like, am I due for an upgrade? What's is it time to do it again? What's going on? Um, so, but yeah. And um, so, what was it like um, being an only child with CP in the school system? Like, there's so many layers of your story that I'm interested in. Like, because you're you're a person of color with CP in it, using using a wheelchair, like an only child. And one of the things you said in your questionnaire was that you know you had to contend with being kind of the only one in the room. And that kind of resonated with me because I have also felt oftentimes when I'm in public spaces, especially as a kid, even now I often feel like I'm the only power wheelchair user in the room or the only visibly disabled person in the room. And it can be a lot. How do you, how have you navigated all those identities? It's, it's, it's a struggle, honestly. Um, Within within my family, I feel like I've been able to navigate it pretty well because um, being around being around my cousins when I was growing up and having having them you know be so close in age, they were just treating me like any other kid. We would we would fight, we would argue, you know, typical sibling rivalry rivalry type stuff. Even though yeah. They weren't actually, you know, my siblings. But then when it came to, you know, being in the public, public guy, like going to the going to the grocery store and going places with my mom and my dad. And there um, there were people questioning, you know, my parents constantly, like, why are you lifting her? And it's and it still happens now. Like. They'll talk to my parents and ask my parents questions about my disability rather than asking me because the assumption is that if I'm in my chair, I can't you, you, talk. You can't. Yeah, you can't communicate. Which, and as we're all hearing, you can talk. You can talk quite fine. There's no problem exactly. there. <laughs> like, it's like, hello, I'm sitting right here looking at you. Could you just? Why don't you just look at me instead of, you know, running to my parents for everything? And then another piece that makes it irritating in the community is that accessibility is so difficult to get. It's so yeah. difficult to get because the the most challenging example now, um, when I go into when I go into a store, so let's say I'm going into Route 21 and 
I'm quick to say, if your aisles are not spacious, I have no problem tearing up your display to get through <laughs> to get through the aisle and get these clothes that I'm trying to get. But then when I get to the register, it's like the cashiers look at me crazy when I'm pulling out my own money or when I'm yeah. pulling out my card to pay for my stuff. I'm like, how do y'all think or why do you think that I couldn't pay for my own stuff? Yeah, like seriously. Yeah, no, it it well again, so many layers to unpack there, like the fact that people come up to your parents as a kid or came up to your parents when you were a kid and said stuff like, why are you lifting her like that? Well, fuck off. Like they're lifting her because they have to lift her to get her into wherever they're going. Yeah. Like, are you helping lift to lift her? No. So leave them alone. Like, so, and then, you know, to see just how the, the progression is with people, um, well, how do you feel being the only one in the room? How do you feel sometimes being the only disabled person in the room? It's 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 hard because it almost feels like I have to go through this whole detail, this full breakdown step by step of what I can and cannot do in order for people to actually see me for who I am. And honestly, I hate that. It sucks. And then yeah. at the same time, it's like, if I don't give you this information, then you're just going to sit there and stare at me or not even, you know, include me in the conversation just because that's how, that's how you feel. So what I'm hearing you say is like, it's tiring like you're just tired and I don't blame you I would, it's really hard to have to give somebody a bullet point of who you are to get them to accept not even not even to to talk to you or be a friend or see you as an equal to just say hello you have to like give a play-by-play of here's who I am and here's why I deserve to exist like that's, yeah, a, that's, that's a lot yeah because the main question I always I always used to get and I still get it you know, sometimes now is like, what happened to you? Like, did you get in a, did you get in a car accident? Are you paralyzed? Like, are you, are you retarded? And I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, first of all, the fact that people are using the R word, like that is just, phew, that's, we yeah. need to not use that language anymore, everyone. It's horrible. Don't use it. Uh <laughs> But how does that make you feel when people say stuff like that to you? Oh, it pisses me off. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Don't lie. So, uh, and and you know, I I would imagine too. And, and correct me if I'm wrong. But you being a, a person of color, a black woman in it with a disability, there's a whole other layer of people thinking that you have that you are less than that you have to contend with because we know how people treat black Americans they're not super great and they had we've seen the reckoning is slowly coming around again that we have to do so much better um myself included but but like how how does that extra layer around disability make you feel it's it's again it's exhausting and it's 
it's honestly scary, especially with what's going on now in in America with the with all the violence towards people of color. Yeah. I'm actually scared a lot of times to, you know, go outside. And I'm a person that likes to, you know, go out and have some fun, but I also know now that my the joystick on my chair could possibly be a trigger for a police officer to interpret that as a gun. And I actually experienced had an experience similar to that my freshman year in high school where there was there was a there was a drug search at the school and they had everyone come out of the classroom to um, search everyone's book bags and they had the police dog so when I came out of the room and you know was turning around and the dog heard the joystick click the click right yeah yeah he darted across like literally like probably 25 yards for wherever he was straight at me and I was like I had my hands up so fast like it's my joystick I don't have anything I have nothing can y'all please get this dog away from me? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I don't, I'm speechless because my, I never even thought of that as an issue. And now I, <laughs> I never even considered that it would be a, wow. Uh, oh, that's, wow. So first of all, so sorry that happened. That's ridiculous. Should never have happened to you or to any black disabled person or black person at all. So, please, oh, I have feelings about that. Wow. So okay. So that happened to you, and then what did they do? Were they like? Were they like? And then, oh. And then the officer was just like, "Okay, we we know, we know. You can you can go back in the room. It's okay. Don't worry about it." Oh, that's scary. That's really scary. You know, I spoke to somebody on this recording. I spoke to somebody like two weeks ago, um, Dante, who said, you know, as a black man with disabilities, I'm scared of the police because they won't understand me because I have a, I can't verbalize like you can. And I, just so we have to do so much better to, to train. I mean, for, I think we should abolish the police but if we're gonna have to have them we need to train them on how to treat wheelchair users and people with complex disabilities so that they don't kill us you're right i I mean this okay this this took a somber turn so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna bring it back to some happy times but uh but tell me um i'm just gonna go over your form and see which other cool things i want to talk about uh tell me more about just how disability plays a role into your day-to-day so disability plays a role now. Um, being in being in the virtual environment and working from home has actually been a benefit to me in the last year since the pandemic. Well, the last year and a half since the pandemic has been in effect. Um, because prior to the pandemic, um, 
another another job that I have with the um, state of Virginia as a service service coordinator with the Medicaid program um, required me to go into the office four days a week. And the challenge with going into the office um, was having to learn how to be without personal care. Um, oh my God, I could talk to you so much. I understand <laughs> this. To the, I, I used to work in an office and I never had personal care when I went. I know the stress of like, first of all, what if your paratransit doesn't show up? Then when you get there, what if you need help? Nobody can help you because they have yeah. no split. I fully understand the, the stress and the emotional pressure of like, I'm at work, but no one can help me if I need something. Right. So like one of, one of the challenges with that um, was, what if I need to go to the bathroom and yep. how am I going to do this? So, so I had to, you know, embrace the idea of wearing a depends to work, which is something that I don't do on a, on a regular but it was something that I had to say, okay, Jessica, you're gonna you're gonna be by yourself for nine hours today. And there were some instances where I could have said, you know, if if I need help, I can call my mom and she can come help, or I can call my best friend and she can come, which did happen, you know, but then yeah. There were other times where I was just like, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own and just deal with it. So yeah. I'm sitting at work, you know, trying not to drink a whole lot of water too much because I don't want to trigger my bladder. <laughs> yeah. But then it, it was also, it, over time, it became a thing where you know what? If it happens, it happens. Yeah, because then you're like, well, I have to drink water because it's not healthy if I don't drink. And we all do it. All So many people with disabilities that I've talked to on this show and just in life are like, oh, yeah, I never drink enough because I need help. And so, like, the, the stress of that at work. I remember working in a call center and having to pee and needing help and just being like, how the fuck am I going to do this? Exactly. I was six hours away from my parents when I when it, like I didn't have anybody that I could just phone up and be like, "Come save me." <laughs> so like, I did it. so I, I I understand the stress of like having to explain to your employer, "I have to leave because I'm gonna piss myself," or "I have pissed myself. I have to go." Like like it's such a de dehumanizing thing. Um, how is your current employment about about? all of that so now that we've been working from home it's actually been good because my mom my mom and my dad are you know my primary caregivers which they always have been um but i gotta say the pandemic was a big big shift towards you know well, it was a shift to being able to build acceptance around, you know, being independent is going to take a lot longer and a lot 
And there's a lot more hoops involved in order for me to accomplish that. Because prior to the pandemic, I was living in my own apartment in downtown Richmond. Um, but the issue was because I had started working, you know, six months, six or seven months after securing my apartment, I lost 24-hour care that I had. Oh, so it's back to that bullshit of like, because you dare to make a dollar, you don't get help anymore. Exactly. So then, you know, it would be, okay, you could have, you know, your caregiver would be there when you're at work and maybe a couple hours after you get home. But then I had to decide, you know, because I didn't have overnight care, whether I was going to stay in my apartment and try to have a friend stay there with me. Now, mind you, I was on the fourth floor of this apartment building, which is the absolute worst. And they only had one accessible unit in the entire complex. Come on, one? Yeah, seriously. One. What? I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed is what I am. Also, Medicaid, like, uh, no, like, we need care all the time. Us work, like, us having a job doesn't mean that we don't need care. Exactly. So then, you know, when it came down to overnight care, I had to go back home to, to my parents' house. And actually, this is where I am now, talking to you. Like, I actually had to literally move back home because trying to find care and trying to get 24 hours returned back to me was just something that Medicaid wasn't going to go for. And then at the same time, when you have when you have people that want to provide care to you, but they're not getting paid the money that they should be getting paid. Of course. That's another issue. It's a, the system makes me like I've heard this before from other people. I live in I am privileged and lucky enough to live in a place where care is already attached to where I live. There are there are problems with that. Believe me, when I said that's it's not great either. But it's at least if I had something happen to me right now, I could call somebody and they come up here within ten minutes. But to know that you've had to lose your independence. And lose your autonomy of your own place. Like, I know what it's like to be disabled and have your own place. It's a big deal. It's a big deal to be like, I'm in my own house doing my own thing. And I'm, you know, and I'm doing this. And then to have to be like, oh, I can't get the care I need. Like, it angers me to no end. And you can all hear it in my voice. I'm so angry that these systems are not designed by disabled people who, who use them. They're designed by presumably all white men who have no idea, who have no idea what it is that you need or don't need and only throw money at the problem when it works for them. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, it just makes me so mad that you, you had to lose. I mean, I'm sure your parents are great and you love them and it's amazing, but like I couldn't live with my mom. 
we I'm like I'm I'm I want to be on my own. I want to do my own things. I want to be I want to do my own stuff. Like you having to move back home means how do you date? How do you meet somebody? How do you like yeah. it's impossible. Yeah. Speaking of, how do you date and meet somebody? Like what what has that journey been like for you? So right now I am currently currently single. Um I am very much interested in dating i have been in relationships before um actually two relationships um and both of them were long distance and also with someone that was disabled and it was a challenge because again trying to establish independence in an in an environment where you can't because you know when your parents are working they have to go to bed by a certain time in order to get enough sleep to get up and go to work the next day to get up and and take care of you and then get up (laughs) yeah 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 so it's not like I could call you know call them in two in the morning and be like hey what are you doing like no yeah 10 o'clock 11 o'clock is the cutoff so are are you more like a night owl are you more like do you like if you had your choice would you be up all the time if i could yeah i would i would definitely be up um and i like going and i like going different places so you know trying to plan a date is also challenging too because transportation Public transportation sucks. I mean, it's it, pretty, it pretty much is kind of shitty everywhere for every disabled. Like, I get it. You're yeah. right. It's really bad. And then also the the stuff we just talked about, like, if you go on a date, you have to regulate your drinking, regulate your eating, regulate all those things because you're not going to have care with you. You can't be like, mom, hop on this date with me. Like, <laughs> like okay, mom, I see you on the other side of the restaurant, but... uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my mom is is really cool. So I I probably and I'm getting this weird weird point in my in my in my like growing up where I'm like, yeah, we're friends. I you could you could sit across the way from me while I be flirty, sure. But like, I get it. I don't know if I would be a hundred percent cool every time with like somebody being there. Um, um, what is since you moved back home? What is the relationship with your folks? Like, how does because I know when folk when parents have to give care when we're kids, it's one thing, but as we grow up, that can be different. What has it been like for you? So growing up, you know, I understood what it was. Like you're you're my parents, you're raising me, you know, you you have a, a child with a disability, so you're going to do the best you can. And then a lot of disabled parents don't have the resources. And that's another part of the problem to live as an individual with a disability because if, if there are no resources available to you, then how do you expect to, you know, know how to, you know, use a funnel if you have to pee? How do you expect to know, like, what places are accessible to you and what places aren't. And, you know, my mom and my dad and I, we have, we have a pretty good, pretty close relationship. 
Um, they've always been in my corner. And I realized now that I'm getting older and they're getting older, we are butting heads a little bit more because yeah. there are some things that they see, but I have a but I have a different perspective of doing executing these things. For example, like with a with a transfer, there was a technique that I learned in PT, and you know the therapist wanted me to try it at home, so I was like, okay, cool. So talked to my parents about it, and they were like, nope, we're not doing it. <laughs> Because, you know, we've, we've been doing it this way for so long. For like and, 20 plus years, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, trying to get out of some of the habits or some of the routine is difficult because I have to respect them for the way that they're providing care. Yeah, that's, that is... And I love my, my my mom and I have traveled and we've done we've traveled all over the world and we've done really cool things together. But I yeah. fully understand the stress of like the stress of they're gonna do it this way because it's easier for them. But I want them to do it this way. But I can't say that because I need them to put me to bed. So I have to yeah. just sh- like I have to shut up and just be like, okay, no problem, like cool, no big deal. Uh, and it's that's it's really hard. Yeah, so, you know, we've, we've been working through it in some ways. Like, I've had to tell tell my dad a few times, like, Dad, can you just let me do this and figure it out? And if, and if I need your help, then I'm going to ask you, of course, but just let me, let me try it for a second and see how it works. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I think that more parents of adult kids with disabilities need to have like really hard conversations with their kids about you want me to be independent cool this is me asserting my independence telling you that this is what I'm gonna do even if you don't like it this is what I'm gonna do thanks like and it's not an easy conversation my mom, my mom and I have had several of them as I've gotten older because you know I'm 37 and my mom's in her late 60s now mm-hmm. and like we're still really close but we've had moments where we've come to blows and I've been like like Mom, I love you, but I want to do it this way. Let me do it this way. Yeah, definitely. Like, for sure. Um, so uh, let's talk. There's so much I want to talk to you about. I could talk to you for a very long time. Um, tell me about, uh, just, we talked a little bit about counseling at the beginning. Because you're working, you want, you're, you're working as a counselor now. So you are working as one, right? Yeah. So I'm I'm working part time with a private practice, um, as an as an online. I guess you can say an online counselor, online therapist. So kind of like a talk space sort of thing. Not necessarily. Um, we utilize Zoom for for the conversations. Um, I think that was just the general platform that was most beneficial for, you know, for the company. So, yeah. Um, so what do you think, other than what we already talked about, how like your, your, you had to explain to your employer what your needs are and what, how your disability impacts all that. What are, 
some of the challenges for you being a disabled counselor? Like what, how does disability play into all that? So now that I've been um, working in the virtual space, um, the biggest challenge for me has been how and if I should even share that I have a disability because of course, with me being on camera right now, you can't see my chair, right? But if I back up towards this door, you'll be able to see, you know, the actual frame supporting me. You won't see my seatbelt on, but you'll see my slippers strapped into these to these foot straps, you know? And then yeah. um, the other thing I've had to learn too is not, you know, taking the things, taking things personally. Like if clients don't show up, it's not my fault. It's not something I'm, I'm doing wrong. Or if they decide that they don't want to talk today, you know, it's nothing against me. It's just the nature of the process. So it's just you kind of having to navigate your own internalized ableism and not worrying that like, oh, if, if I don't, if they don't show up, it doesn't mean they're, they're, they like found out that I'm disabled or they that or that I'm a bad uh, counselor just because right. they couldn't show up. But I think you know to your large to your larger point of like should you show your wheelchair? Yes, please, please do, please, because it's so it's such I think that it's such a valuable thing to have a person with complex disabilities giving the counseling because like I said earlier, I don't know how many times I've walked into a to a counselor's office and they'd be like, oh, I never understood about this part of my disability. Can you spend like the whole hour telling me about that? And I'm like, oh no, I want to get to like the other stuff. And I have a friend, exactly. my friend that I was telling you about that does, that also wants to be a counselor. She had to, she was doing online counseling with her counselor the other day. And she was like, I'm having trouble with relationships and I'm having trouble with all this stuff. Can we work through it? And the, the, the counselor just said, oh, you should go to a disability group. And my friend was like, has nothing to do with my disability. I want to talk right. to you about like relationships just as a, as a person and my disability plays a role. And she was like, yeah, try this disability, disability group. And my friend was like, no, that's not, what? No. So I think you kind of talking about and using your disability as a selling point to show the disability and non-disabled community that there are disabled counselors out there because you also would bring a different perspective for a non-disabled client that came into your office who might not see things a certain way. Your disability would open the door for them to see something different. And I think there's so much value in that. I agree. And I, ha- and I have been, you know, finding different ways to, you know, share that information with with my clients, because my caseload is such a wide variety right now. Like I have kids, like elementary school kids, all the way up to like someone that's probably in their 50s, early 60s, maybe. So being able to listen to their story and then, you know, listening to some of the things that they say. And I'm I'm like, yeah, I experienced this too, because when I go to the, you know, when I go to the grocery store or when I go to, you know, wherever it is that I'm going, I get anxious immediately. 
and we talk about, you know, what depression looks like in using a lot of different strategies. Like mindfulness is probably one of the biggest interventions that I use with a lot of my clients. And it's so funny because if somebody else is doing a mindfulness technique with me, I'll fall asleep immediately. Um, so, so if they're telling you to be mindful, if, 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 if another counselor was like, hey, Jessica, be mindful, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to just tab out and take a nap. Yeah, because if, if you're doing the guided meditation and it's like, slowly take a deep breath in, hold it in for the count of three, I'm going to sleep. If this is going to be a 15-minute meditation, I'm telling you, I'm going to be asleep within 10. I no mean, question. Uh, <laughs> all I can picture is you falling asleep now during God of Hilarious. Hilarious. <laughs> um, um, what kind of tools do you think that your disability and your experience as a disabled Black woman bring to counseling that we don't have right now? Huh, that's that's a, a very interesting big question, question, right? I know, Beb, it's a big one. It's a big one. So I think the the biggest experience, well, the big the biggest component of it that I bring to that I bring to the counseling setting is just to just to show up and be able to goof off a little bit. That not be so serious about stuff. Like I'll talk to my clients a lot about Marvel comics or, you know, stuff that they're looking on, looking at on Netflix and what's going on at school. It'd be like, yeah, I remember when, you know, this girl was talking about, was talking about me at school. Or I remember what it feels like to struggle in math class. Math was my worst subject in school and then we're having the conversation like well how did you how did you handle that and just being able to sit there and you know listen to someone else for a change so and i'm glad you said that so like your disability um allows for you to just be able to listen more and be more because and i guess that makes sense because like we you know, we as disabled people have, we have a lot of downtime to think about stuff. And so you being able to, to just be patient and listen to them because of your disabilities is also really important. Yeah. Um, one of the things that you wanted, you mentioned to me in the questionnaire that I want to get to, because I think it's important. You wanted to talk about uh, kind of the, the need for, more disability representation in the media and yeah. you've all you also mentioned that you were interested in like in like acting and modeling and i think you could totally be an actor or a model what kind of stuff do you want to do in that field thank you um yeah i've actually when it comes to acting i think um i've just been interested in e- either being i remember it was a show called um push girls that came out maybe 10 years ago and I was like I would want somebody to you know see what my day-to-day life looks like be inside my house like 
see what the house looks like, what it's like to get in the car and go go to different places. But then I also feel like, you know, acting, acting is such a fun thing to do because I can be be a different part of myself and you know just be able to learn and connect with other people and plus I can be a very emotional person so I feel like that's a way a constructive way for me to get my emotions out tell me more about that tell me like you mentioned you you can be an emotional person me too and I think I think that's part and parcel because of the disability and because of the ableism that we've experienced in the world we live in yay thanks for that um what how 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 do you feel like you are an emotional person so I'm I'm a person that when I when I get some most of the time I'm a pretty I'm a pretty happy-go-lucky always smiling really you know pretty chill person but then I have my moments where you can say something to me and it's either going to make me really upset or it's going to piss me off to the point where my muscle spasms can get so intense because I'm trying to hold back from punching in the face <laughs> like uh well if you did punch them in the face you could just be like oh spasm sorry i don't know <laughs> but see with when the spasm hits it and then i'm using the the force it's a whole it's a whole nother ball game so i can't always run to the spasm because sometimes i'm like you deserve you really deserve this right now so i'm okay with it when was the last time you because of like ableism and disability, what was the last time you wanted to punch me in the face? Oh, that was from that was probably a couple months ago. I forgot what the conversation was, but um, I know it had something to do something to do with um, someone had said something along the lines of "You're not doing enough." Um, what you're doing is not is not good enough. It's a waste of you know a waste of time. And I'm like, this is not your life. This is mine. Yeah, is and my- having having to constantly like deal with people telling you you're not doing enough. Like, how do you how do the fact they know what enough is? Our disabilities right. taking taking enough out of us. Like, how do they know what enough is? Right. And, and yeah, it's, it's difficult to deal with now because I'm like, do you, do you realize that, you know, if I, if I wasn't, if I wasn't disabled, there's a pretty good chance that I would be doing the same, I'd be doing the same things I'm doing now. I would, I would have still gone to college um, even though I wanted to go to the, the military at one point, thanks to Forrest Gump. I used to watch that movie faithfully. Oh, yeah? Was, yeah. Well, how did Forrest Gump influence your wanting to be in the military? Well, part of it was because you remember the scene where he where he's the kid and he has the, the old school leg braces and then he's yeah. just 
running and bust out of out of the braces and then eventually goes into the military. So I wanted to go into the military because I, I love traveling, you know, different places. I have a bucket list of places in the States and in other countries that oh, I want to Oh, tell me, where do, you want, where do you want to go? What, what places? So, oh man. Um, so in the United States, I'll start there. So I want to go okay. to... I'm gonna go to California. It's good I there. Wanna... Super warm. Not very yeah. accessible, but it's super yes. warm. But see, I love warm weather. I'm a summer baby, so I could I could totally handle it, and I think be okay once I get, get used to it. Um, going to definitely go to Miami. Um, also, also nice, warm, yes. more accessible, <laughs> but it's Florida's. It's like the party. It's like the party capital of Florida. And so right now with COVID, I would highly recommend not going there. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. So um, New York. Uh, also great. Really nice there. <laughs> not super accessible. Um, really busy. But I think you would like it there. Yeah. And then um, definitely want to go back to go back to Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. Um, just just for sightseeing and, you know, getting some of the good food, of course. Yeah. I, I mean, I could give you a lot of stuff in, in the United States that I want to go to, but outside of the States, um, Italy, because I want some legit spaghetti. <laughs> I mean... I would also love some legit spaghetti. I've not been there, but here I hear it's quite beautiful. Yeah, and um, I want to go to Spain. Also, here it's really nice there. Yeah, I I love the architecture in in Spain as well as Greece. Greece would be really good because I want to try. I really want to try um the homemade. The, I want to actually see how they create um, baklava, their the dessert. I love bakery. baklava. It's so good. Yes. Yes. And I want to uh, go to Jamaica and also go to, also go to Africa and even Australia because I definitely, definitely want to see a kangaroo you in person you would love australia i have been there twice i haven't seen a kangaroo in person yet but it's really nice there really more accessible than a lot of places really sometimes not accessible but in like the big city centers mostly mm-hmm. accessible um you like it there i hopefully will be going there in 2024 for something again and my sister lives there so like I, I, have a, I have a soft spot there. If through some magical way, like you get, get over there or you do get over there and you need pointers, I kind of know a little bit. So I, I'd be happy to help you. Awesome. Thanks. Um, um, what did I want to ask you about now? Oh, yeah. Tell me. So because you want to get into acting and modeling, what we, you put in the form a little bit about the representation of people with disabilities that there are mm-hmm. in the world. Um, 
what kind of representation do you want to see now? Like if you were to if you were to be cast in a role, how would you want them to navigate disability? So I would definitely want disability to be represented not not just like what I see on TV now where there's a lot of um, the promotional ads for St. Jude or the different hospitals that specialize in disability, which is great. But I also feel like it could be expanded to um, fashion. It could be expanded to um, different different career paths like culinary arts, for example, because I really want to cook and I can cook. I just don't have the space to do it. So I think if shoots were designed that way, then these, you know, entities, these culinary schools, for example, could look at redesigning their schools and buying different equipment that would allow persons with disabilities to come in and get some experience in that field. Um, I have, (laughs) I agree with everything you said. Also, what is your favorite thing to cook? My favorite thing to cook, the easiest thing that I can cook is scrambled eggs. That's that's the closest thing right now. Well, that actually would work really good with you having spasms. You just put the egg in there and then if you spasm, there you go. It's scramble, there you go. Spasm, scramble eggs. Awesome. Um, um, but what are like other than eggs, what is you what like other things do you like to make for yourself? And and if you could share also, like, as you're telling me that, what, how does disability play into you wanting to cook? So disability plays, the biggest role that it plays right now is um, not having the space to cook the way I see myself cooking. Because I grew up, you know, my mom, my mom cooks a lot of um, soul food dishes yeah. I can say I'm I'm a I'm a country girl country girl at heart with deep country roots, but I'm a city girl too. So I I love a good homemade pot roast with the potatoes, onions, carrots, mm. with a side of greens or a side of cabbage because that was a dish that you know my grandmother cooked once a month, you know, for the whole family to come and visit after church on Sundays. And then my grandmother and my aunts on my dad's side cook a lot, cook a big meal for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. So we have the works, turkey, mashed potatoes, sometimes have meatballs, all kinds of stuff. And because I have the knowledge of it, you know, I would love to be able to cook a big meal for my family, like my grandmothers and my aunts have done for yeah. me. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think there's a there's a there's an HGTV Food Network like there's a Food Network show in that we just said <laughs> like renovating a cooking space to make it accessible for a wheelchair user like yeah. fucking there, there's a there's a food network tv show in there someone who kn- anyone listening 
if you have ties to the Food Network, and I know some celebrities listen to my show, so if you're listening, set Jessica up with the Food Network contract, please. Please. Yes, I would please. watch that so hard. Please. Please. Thank um, you. Jessica, I have I I loved sitting down with you and I could sit down with you for like another bunch of hours. I ran out of things. To, I'm done like with all the things we we're going to talk about today. Was there anything else that you wanted to chat about that we missed? So I wanted to go back to the um to the acting piece because I don't think I went into a whole lot of um detail about disability representation, but I feel like um there 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 should be more opportunities expanded to wheelchair users and persons with other disabilities to be introduced into the acting world specifically people of color because when you look at commercials or when you look at movies there's not a lot of people you know that are literally living the life of a disabled individual on that screen it's somebody that's just playing a role drake was actually one of them and i'm like wait a minute oh i know oh i know what are you are you serious like it bothered me to see that because i'm like i'm sure there was somebody out there that could have played this role and made it way more believable not saying that drake didn't but I mean, he kind of didn't. I watched Degrassi. I'm from Toronto. I, like, I, <laughs> I, I watched that being like, okay, you tried real hard, Drake. You, you mean, give it a nice, a nice go. But yeah, they really should have hired a disabled actor. Like, and there's, there's no excuse for them not doing that. So like, but I think, you know, what you say is true. A lot of the media we consume, even when it does have people with disabilities on it, like, they're not they're it's overwhelmingly white and i know because i've worked in media before mm-hmm. like it's over and i had the privilege of being a white person so i could i could i got into a lot more doors if i was a person of color wanting to act or wanting to go on a reality show or wanting to do some of the stuff that i've done they might not have said you know they might not have picked me so i think you're right i think we need other representation than just like the white the white manual wheelchair users as your focus yeah absolutely because you don't see the power chairs you you see the you know the walking canes every once in a while but there's way more there's way more roles and way more stories that need to be told in the disability world i think the story you mentioned earlier about you trying to navigate the workplace and trying like oh my god i'm gonna be alone for nine hours how do i pee like that could be both that could be hilarious disability centric like workplace comedy that could be like so funny because it's real life but it's like again somebody on nbc or somebody who works in the tv who's listening can we make these things a series please 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 yeah i'm Um, definitely interested yeah, Jessica and I are ready to produce some shit. So just hit yeah. us up. Hit us up. Um, again, I had so much fun with you. Was there anything else we missed that you wanted to keep saying? Or am I? Um, I think 
one thing that we that we didn't touch on um, was pertaining to intimacy. Um, oh yeah, let's go there. I'm ready to go there. Yeah, because and I think um, the way the way I've been, I've I've honestly been struggling with it because um, I think I noted somewhere in the beginning that I had. Um, that I've been dealing with struggles with body image. So one of the things that when I think about intimacy, the thing that makes me the most anxious is, am I going to be desired for who I am? Or is this just, you know, somebody that wants to, you know, spend this time, spend this time with me just to say it's like, a conquest, if you will, or something to check off their list. Like, yeah, I got some from a chick in a chair and it was good, but I don't know if I'm going to like stick with that. I mean, I mean, that that's so hard because like, you're right. We want to be seen as more than just someone's conquest, but also I find it hard because because sometimes you just want to get yours and you're like, I, I like it would be nice if things were different, but this is the only opportunity I have, so I better take it. So there's a struggle of like, I want to have intimacy, but I also like, because we've been so isolated from sexuality and pleasure that when, some, that when someone offers it, sometimes you're like, okay, I guess I'll do it. Even though I want to spend more time with you, you're only offering a one-off. Sure, I'll do it that way. Right. And then like the other the other piece, you know, for for me personally, it's like, okay, if if I give with you, like what if I can't bend my leg a certain way? Like, are you gonna be okay with that? Or like are you gonna be open to, you know, utilizing different equipment? Are you gonna be open to, you know, sticking in this position for about 20 minutes and then we switch later like if my back hurts are you going to be okay if I take a break like it's it's really it's really anxiety is anxiety driven and I think you know as as a woman it's harder because you know sex sells right so yeah if you're not if you're a person that's like I'd rather show you this in person rather than sending a photo some people don't don't rock with that and then that makes it difficult too because I want to actually have someone that sees sees me embraces it and really enjoys it because that's what I'm here for I agree with you I think it's funny that you mentioned like the question of like, are you okay with that? I don't know how many times in my head as a disabled person, me trying to have sex or trying to be intimate with somebody in my head being like, are they going to be okay with this? Are they going to be all right with this? Like the amount of mental gymnastics we have to do just to get comfortable with the fact that somebody might not be comfortable with us is fucking exhausting, especially when you want to just get off or when you want to have a good time or when you want to be explore something with somebody all of that mental stuff that we're doing inside our heads, which we'll never share with them because it's not sexy or cool to do that. Like, yeah. that's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. 
Yeah, and then I think what what bothers me or what has bothered me is that going back to stigma with around disability, I've been asked a lot of times, you know, can you can you even have sex? And I'm like, are you seriously asking me that? Like, come on. Yeah, it's the age old question that we get asked constantly and it's like well and so one of the things that I've been saying a lot in the work that I do is like instead of asking me how I have sex know that I do but ask me how does sex and disability feel instead because then I get to tell you about the ableism then I get to tell you about my internalized ableism then I get to tell you about all the fears I have around access privacy like it opens up a whole different frame of frame of questioning for them that isn't I assume you're you're non-sexual. It's now I now you as the disabled person get a chance to share what it feels like. So maybe if somebody asks you, like if you're intimate with somebody, maybe you can say, instead of asking me, can you even have sex? Start with like ask me how it feels and I'll tell you. Right. I agree. And thanks um, for sharing that because I, ne- I never thought about, you know, reframing it that way. So, well, that way, you know, that way it comes off as not like an angry, that way, instead of how do you have sex, it can be like, oh, you can say, ask me how it feels and I'll tell you. And then I can share with you my fears, my discomfort, my disability stuff, all my internalized ableism that. I don't get to talk about because everybody wants to know if you can have sex, which means usually if I do this to you or if I do this with you, will you be okay? They're not asking you about your pleasure. They want to know if you'll be okay. And and by asking, by you saying, ask me this way, or let me share this way. You're actually saying, let me tell you about my pleasure. Let me tell you about my, let me tell you, let me show you how disability plays in here as opposed to, oh yeah, I can't have sex. Because when they, when they ask you, how do you have sex? They're dehumanizing you. Like, and I don't think that's fair. Right. Totally agree. And on that super serious, sexy note, um, how do the people get a hold of you? How can they follow your work? How can they support you? So, yeah, um, you can... Follow me on Instagram. My Instagram is Jess underscore Perseverant, P-E-R-Z-E-V-E-R-A-N-T with the number eight. That's my Instagram. I'm on Facebook, Jessica S. Johnson. And let's see, what other? I have LinkedIn. So Jessica S. Johnson again, and always hit me up. I'm available. I will make sure that that all that stuff's in the show notes. And if you are in need of a cool, badass counselor in residence with a disability to talk to you about things, hire her too. Spend that money. Spend that dollar on a on a on a counselor who has a different life experience that will give you a different perspective than you thought you needed because guess what we need more disabled counselors out there so hi jessica also what i said before food network and nbc 
hit me up seriously let's get that cooking show going let's get that workplace comedy going there's so many opportunities here let's make it happen um (laughs) all right jessica johnson i had so much fun with you today thank you for so much for being here it was so fun and i will talk to you very soon thank you so much i appreciate it anytime bye bye all right friends that's another episode of disability after dark from me your disabled daddy andrew gerza if you want to follow my work you can follow me on social media on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza underscore or you can follow my website www.andrewgerza.com to find out more about what I do. And of course, you can follow us on Patreon to get the show one day early and completely ad-free by going to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark or you can send us an email to disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com and let us know your ideas for an episode, for a minisode, or for a guest spot. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back to shine a bright light on your disabled stories next time. Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was presented, created, and produced by Drew Gerza and Wheels on the Ground Productions. Any and all materials, including graphics, audio recordings, and music, are property of the owner and cannot be used or distributed without express permission. Copyright 2020-2021